You're listening to West Coast Water Justice, where we talk about water in the Western United States. I'm your host, Natalie Kilmer, and our first guest is Regina Chikazola from Save California Salmon. My name is Regina Chikazola, and I work with Save California Salmon. I am the co-director of Save California Salmon. Can you tell us a little bit about Save California Salmon's mission, what you've been working on, and why? So Save California Salmon is dedicated to having healthy salmon runs and clean water for all Californians. We come at it from a little bit of a different angle where we work a lot with people who are heavily dependent on healthy fisheries. So we work with a lot of Native American people. We work with a lot of fishermen. We think that people have the responsibility to protect the water and that people have the rights to have healthy, clean waterways and abundant fisheries. Can you tell us a little bit about how the organization was started and what you all are doing on the ground? Yeah, so Save California Salmon is run by a group of mainly Native American people and indigenous people and a lot of women. And so for every watershed that we work within, we work with the tribes of the area and we work with youth in the area. So a lot of our work is heavily focused on education. We have an advocacy and water protection in Native California curriculum in which we teach in high schools and universities. And we also work a lot on climate change issues and trying to make sure that traditional ecological knowledge and local tribal knowledge is used in fighting climate change and restoring watersheds. We look at watersheds through the whole watershed. Say right now, I live in the Klamath River and the Klamath River starts with tributaries to Upper Klamath Lake. And so throughout the Klamath River watershed, there is actually five different tribes that all work on different parts of the ecosystem. So the Klamath tribe in the upper basin works on restoring Upper Klamath Lake and their sacred fish that are in the lake. And they work on water rights and making sure that there's enough water in the lake to keep fish from going extinct and being restored. And then as you go down the watershed, then you have the Krug tribe that's working to make sure that there's enough water within the watersheds so that salmon don't go extinct. They work a lot on the Scott and Shasta rivers. The Yurok tribe is below them. And they work on the Trinity River and the lower basin. And then the Hoopa Valley tribe works on restoring the Trinity River, which is diverted into the Sacramento watershed. So in other watersheds, it's kind of the same thing. We work with the different tribes within the different regions, and we want to empower communities in order to do things like take dams down and restore watersheds, restore estuaries to make sure that not only is the water clean, for drinking water sources and there's not agricultural chemicals or toxic algae within the watersheds, but also that there's enough water in the watersheds that fish are able to be restored in that watershed so that people can eat them and have healthy diets, but also so that, you know, people can be using their watersheds and interacting with them. A lot of the people we work with are youth, native youth, that have seen the decline of the salmon and seen the decline of water quality and are dealing with the extreme climate effects that we're having right now. So for instance, right now there is the Salmon River Watershed and Trinity River Watershed have huge fires on them. And every year we've been having bigger and bigger fires in our watershed and throughout the rest of California too. 
But in general, we work on climate, we work on water, and we work to empower people to work on climate and water issues. And we work to make sure that youth and Native people's voices are heard in climate and water decisions within the state of California. That's great. So how did you get involved? I've personally been living on the Klamath River since I was 18, so that's since 1997. I've been working that whole time on both forest, climate, and water issues. But in 2002, when the Klamath River fish kill happened, I started working more on water issues and on water supply issues and Klamath dam removal issues. And as time went on, we made Save California Salmon. I started working within other areas and we started building up the group so that we could support people in other areas. So now we do also, besides working in the Klamath River, we work on the Trinity River, the Sacramento River, the San Joaquin River, the Bay Delta, the Eel River, and the Smith River. And then also in the San Francisco Bay right now. Here in the Klamath River where I live, people are extremely dependent on the local forest and the local river for their food sources through salmon, eels, and sturgeon, and the forest for food such as acorns. And then also there's a lot of people who do weaving and things of that nature. But more than most other areas, people in rural Northern California and places like Upper Sacramento and the Klamath River are really on the front lines of the climate crisis, because as the climate crisis and the water crisis in the state get worse, we're seeing a lot more towns get burnt down. We're seeing large areas that are being deforested by fire. And we're also seeing more water being diverted out of the area for other watersheds and less water in the watersheds in general due to climate change. The diversions in climate change are making it so that there's less and less fish and food sources for people locally. And then the fire are making it so that we're losing towns, whole towns at this point. When I first moved here over 20 years ago, we never had stand replacing fires or very rarely had stand replacing fires or fires that burnt down towns. There were a lot more salmon and sturgeon and eels and people were able to sustain themselves off the land more which is really important because this region and a lot of other regions in Northern California don't have a lot of jobs. And the jobs that we did have were really based on fishing and uh, recreation. And so as time's gone by, we're losing the fishing. Our water is becoming more polluted with toxic algae due to diversions and dams. And the forests are burning down and people's homes are burning down. So it's making it harder and harder for people to live in these rural areas. And, you know, some people might be like, oh, well, why do you stay there? And maybe for people like me that are non-native, you can think that way. But we work with a lot of people who are tribal people and they're deeply committed to taking care of the salmon and the earth and the forest. And so there's not any leaving. We have to fight for the rivers and we have to fight for the forests. So Save California Salmon is all about supporting people in that fight. So just to kind of circle back, so like you're working with the tribes and obviously they're pretty savvy being on the front lines. I guess what's been the most effective way that you've been educating the public through the organization just about the importance of healthy rivers and the ecosystem? 
Well, one of the things that we've really been trying to get out to the public and to people in cities especially is that a lot of Californians' water supply comes from surface water in California. A lot of Southern California and the Bay Area get their water from the Bay Delta or from Sierra watersheds. The Trinity Reservoir and the Shasta Reservoir provide a lot of water for people too. And so if we're getting to a situation where salmon and fisheries can't survive within our surface water and it's becoming full of toxic algae, it's not that's something that only impacts tribes. It's something that impacts anyone who drinks water. The work that we're doing to take down dams and restore watersheds for salmon or in that the tribes are doing for salmon is also helping provide clean drinking water to the rest of the state. And it's not like there's some kind of issue that it's, you know, fish versus the cities and the city's water supplies. The cities, especially cities like San Francisco and in the Bay Area, are doing a lot to use less water. What we're seeing, though, is the people who are not doing a lot to use less water and the people who are doing a lot of the polluting of our surface water supply is actually large agriculture. And not like mom, pa agriculture, you know, that are growing some row crops and tomatoes in order to sell, to make a living. We're seeing large almond orchards taking a lot of our water or people flood irrigating for alfalfa and cows and things of that nature. And that's not a sustainable use of water. So we feel like one of the things that we need to do is come together with people in cities and come together with the people of California and say, we're dealing with climate change. We're having less and less water. Our water supplies are becoming more polluted, more toxic. And as time goes by, we need to look at who's using the water in the state and how it can be used sustainably. And we feel like we really need to work hard on changing the way that California looks at water and the way that it administers water rights. Because right now, the water rights system was set up in the early 1900s when people of color and women didn't even have the right to own lands. And um, a lot of cities didn't even exist when the water rights system was set up. So what we see is one almond orchard can have a water right that's way beyond a city. And that almond orchard's water right is prioritized over the water of a city. So we have right now large rice farmers that are getting water, including water from Shasta Reservoir, which is at 33%. And then we have cities that are running out of water and towns that are running out of water. And that's not the way that we're going to be able to have a sustainable future in light of climate change. We need to look at what's reasonable um, what crops are being exported, where water does not need to be used, say, in like the western San Joaquin Valley, which is pretty much desert that has toxic soils. And those lands that water shouldn't be going to can maybe be retired in order so that our salmon and our cities have the water that they need. Specifically there, you're talking about the Westlands, is that right? Um, well, Westlands is not the only people that own land in the western San Joaquin Valley. There's other water districts there also, but Westlands is definitely one that needs to retire a lot of lands. And it's not just a Westlands problem. We have the Emerson family in the Shasta River watershed, for instance, that has a massive water right and uses it to flood irrigate cow pasture um, and illegally builds dams. And then meanwhile, the river goes dry below that. And then there are people who don't have any water and then there are salmon that die in the river because the water goes dry. So while Westlands is a big problem in these large water districts in places like the Western San Joaquin Valley are huge problems. The water rights system in general in California is a huge problem in it. Every single watershed deals with it.
And it's something that in light of climate change needs to be changed. And that's besides our dam removal work. That's probably one of our biggest campaigns right now is getting California to change its system of water rights to be equitable and just. That's a big, big one there. Did you want to talk about the hearing process? Yeah, sure. So I'll get a little bit into the background. For the last 20 years, we've been fighting to take down four dams on the Klamath River that are owned by Pacific Power or Pacific Core Energy. And Pacific Core Energy was owned until very recently by Berkshire Hathaway. And Berkshire Hathaway is owned by Warren Buffett. And so recently, the dams, the Klamath dams were transferred to the Klamath River Renewal Corporation for the purpose of taking them down. There was just FERC hearings that were about the process of taking the dams down and the surrendering of the dams for removal. And we did engage in that. That was just a scoping hearing that just happened, which is the first step in a NEPA process. So um, what happens is they take input on scoping, which is what are the issues around the Klamath Dam removal process. And then next they'll have an EIS um, And then after the EIS, there'll be a decision notice. But um, in this particular case, we've already had two separate federal processes and two separate state processes looking into Klamath Dam removal, dealing with all of the different scientific studies, um, water quality issues, salmon issues, and what every study, and including um, power issues, because these dams do not produce very much power. So actually keeping them in place would have cost more money than removing them. So we have 20 years of studies behind us saying Klamath Dam removal is absolutely the best thing that can happen for every single possible issue. So for bringing back salmon, best thing that can happen for water quality, best thing that can happen for power grid and power supply issues as far as making sure that people are not paying more money for their power, dam removal is the best thing that can happen. So that's all together. But something else I wanted to explain is that the reason why Pacific Core and Berkshire Hathaway decided to give the dams over to the Klamath River Renewal Corporation is because it's the best business decision possible for them. It protects their ratepayers. It protects their stockholders. It is the decision that the company wants. Economically, it was always the best decision. But it also took about 15 years of community organizing, direct action, water quality monitoring, scientific advocacy, legal advocacy to get to this point. The dams were first owned by a power company called Scottish Power. The tribes actually went to Scotland when the license came up for renewal and protested at a Scottish Power board meeting. And then after that, Scottish Power ended up selling Pacific Core to Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's company. And every year for three years in a row that Berkshire Hathaway had their yearly board meeting, which they call the Woodstock of Capitalism, because 20,000 people go to Omaha, Nebraska and kind of celebrate Warren Buffett and capitalism as part of this process. Berkshire Hathaway is a massive company. They own Geico. They own power plants throughout the United States. They own 
diamond mines. They own jewelry stores. They own a lot of restaurants. They have holdings everywhere. Warren Buffett was the richest man in the world when we started going to the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting. And um, now he, I think he's probably within this top 10 still. Bill Gates is actually part of the board of Berkshire Hathaway through the Gates Foundation. So this was really the richest people in the world that were owning the Klamath Dams, which produced very little power, but stopped fish from migrating through half of the river system and created toxic algae and fish diseases. This holding made almost no money for Berkshire Hathaway, but every year that they had their yearly shareholders meeting for three years in a row, the Klamath River tribes and supporters and fishermen would go and protest Warren Buffett's shareholders meeting. Actually, some of them became shareholders and would go to the meeting and ask questions. Why don't you finally take down the Klamath dams? Why aren't you respecting native cultures? Why are you okay with taking down the West Coast fishing industry? Because the Klamath River salmon does decide how many fish are caught in the ocean every year. And we've had our fishery shut down now for, I think, something like six out of the last 20 years, completely in very low runs of salmon other years. And a lot of that is directly related to the Klamath dams. And so people from the river, which is, this is a very small rural area, would go every year to Omaha, Nebraska, and stand up to Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and say, you need to take these dams down. And they would go to Portland, Oregon, and they would talk to Pacific Corps there and say, you need to take these dams down. They would go meet with the governor of California, with the governor of Oregon. There was litigation. There was clean water action. There's tribal people that are out on the river documenting every salmon that's killed because of the dams. It's just really been almost 20 years of activism on every single front in order to get these dams down. And so I'm very proud of our community and how hard they work to make this happen. It's best economic decision. It's the best environmental decision. But I really don't believe that if people weren't making their voices heard and fighting to make sure the public knew that, that these dams would be coming down. I haven't heard all that yet. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. I think it's an important part of the story. Yeah, that's really awesome. I love that. What do you want the public to know so they can help out? The next thing that will happen through the FERC process, FERC is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They will be putting out an environmental impact statement on Klamath Dam removal. And so we will be asking people to comment for the dams to come down as part of that process and for FERC to actually approve the license for surrender and removal. So we will be putting out action alerts on that for people to engage. Then hopefully after that, then we'll be getting a decision from FERC. One of the most important things right now is for FERC to move in a very quick way. The Klamath dams were supposed to come down in 2020, and now we're looking at possibly 2023. And I don't think it can be emphasized enough how much of the salmon we've lost through this process. I think originally we were hoping the dams were going to come down in 2016, but every year that we have a drought right now, we're losing about 90% of the juvenile salmon and they are dying due to a fish disease that's caused from these dams. So what happens is that there's an algae that hosts the polychaetes that spreads the diseases through the salmon and the hot spot for that disease and for the algae is right below the dams. And every year that hot spot gets longer and longer. 
partially because of climate change, but also because the area under the dams is not being scoured out of that algae. There's not water being released in most years that allows the river to act like a natural water system. And so we're getting more and more algae, more polychaetes. And every drought year, we're losing about 90% of our juvenile salmon. This year, the river is also extremely warm and the dams really warm up the river a lot more. And so we could be looking at losing adult salmon too. They actually did have to just release some water into the Trinity and Klamath River to stop spring chinook from having a spring chinook kill. And the spring chinook numbers for even adult spring chinook are down to less than 100 wild spring chinook left in our ecosystem in the Klamath River. And this was the main run of salmon that was above the Klamath dams. So if we don't move quickly, we might not have enough spring chinook left in our system in order to actually populate the area above the dams. So we definitely need people to stay involved. We definitely need people to be calling in and getting involved in the FERC process and saying we need these dams removed. But also we need people to be saying we need these dams removed now. We don't have more time for stalling. Um, Pacific Corps and Warren Buffett stalled the dam removal process for many, many years. I think it's been since 2008 now that since we started having EISs about dam removal and water quality studies about dam removal, since the FERC relicensing process started, it's been almost 20 years. And since we started talking and doing analysis of dam removal, it's been over 12 years. And within that time, we've lost the majority of our salmon in the river. And our salmon runs have gone down by more than 10 of thousands in fish, and we're down to less than 100 wild spring chinook salmon, which is an extremely important food source to the tribes and in an extremely important cultural species. A lot of the ceremonies that happen on the Klamath River are spring salmon ceremonies. So it really lets you know how important this run of salmon is. And if we don't get these dams down immediately, we're going to lose this whole species. And beyond that, the fish that are dying, the juvenile fish that are dying in the river are fall salmon and coho salmon. And coho salmon is listed as an endangered species. And the fall Chinook salmon is the most important species right now that the tribes eat, but also to the West Coast fishery. So we're looking at losing multiple runs of salmon and the whole West Coast salmon industry and the most important food source to the three tribes in the Lower Klamath if this process does not go forward in a quick manner. The next step in the FERC hearings is for FERC to hear that we need to move really quickly to get these dams down, because if not, we're going to lose the salmon in the river and all of the jobs and economies that rely on them. How can we learn more? And if you just want to share social media or any other websites to direct people to or events? Of course. Yeah. So our website is californiasalmon.org. We have a Facebook page, Save California Salmon. We're on Twitter at California Salmon, and we are on Instagram at California Rivers. Also, there's the Klamath River Renewal Corporation has a website, and they are the ones who are taking the Klamath dams down. So um, that's a good place to look at any studies or media that are directly related to the process of dam removal. And there's another website, I think it's called Bring the Salmon Home that also can be followed, but all of it's linked to at our website, which is californiasalmon.org. That was Regina Chickazola from Save California Salmon. Thanks for listening to West Coast Water Justice, produced by me, Natalie Kilmer. 
Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Our next episode will be out in two weeks. The music is from the album Now That's What I Call Surf by Tony Bald, Adam and Yikis, and Danny Snyder.